we want to make sure you're awake before I start. I don't want to waste anything I got to say here. But anyway, well, the folks who began to sing that song, and I was sitting on the front row with my brother, who was a preacher, and we were right in front of the casket. And I remember as they began to sing that song that uh, it is well with my soul. You know, I thought it's not only true of my father who had trusted Christ as his Savior, but it is also true in my own heart that I'm, I'm at peace about this. My father knows the Lord, and someday I'll be with him, and I'll not worry about the in-between time. And I remember saying to myself, uh, it is well with my soul. And this morning, if you know Christ and you're resting in him for your salvation, you too can say, it is well with my soul. And let me tell you, I don't know that there's any more secure words to be spoken by mortal lips than that that are based on the truth of God's Word. It is well with my soul. Romans chapter 5, and by the way, after the service this morning, we have guests coming in. Uh, a church will be using our building um, beginning around 1 o'clock. I didn't say that to tell you to leave because I don't intend to preach to 1230, so you'll have plenty of time to get out of here. But the fact is that uh, there may be folks coming in and out of the parking lot as you're going out. They may be coming in. Uh, First Baptist Church of Nineveh, Brother Scott Borland and his people are coming in, and uh, they're baptizing today, so the baptistry is filled and ready for them. And uh, these folks have used our, our facilities before. They won't be needing them again. Uh, they have built a, a new building, and uh, I believe, Brother Adam, that's the building you worked on, I believe, wasn't it? And that's the building you helped on. And they are, uh, they'll have their building finished enough so they won't need ours anymore but we're honored that they use it we uh, uh, we like for folks to baptize believers and we're excited about them using it and so uh, we're honored that they can come and use the new life baptist church and i remind you as uh, as uh, moses reminded israel that you know we've gone through our valleys and we've gone through our shifts and our locations where the church was meeting in the college and we went through the, and all that the church did more than i and so you can appreciate a church that's in transition and getting things settled. So I hope that you uh, can appreciate sharing with another church. And I'm always honored and delighted to share our baptistry and our auditorium with them. So as you leave today, they may be coming in. Just be a, uh, give a heads up to it and be alert to it. And uh, obviously encourage them, let them know if you hear about any of them. We're glad for them to use our building and our facilities as they need it. For now, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. Let me finish or stop there. Next week we'll pick up with the rest of verse number 5. But stop for this moment and for this message. If you've been saved by the grace of God, been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then let me exhort you and encourage you to ever keep before you what the Bible says that you have. And there is no better place of looking at that than in chapter number 5 of Romans. As I've said before, I say again, Romans 5 is a great chapter on the security of the believer. And if you've ever had to wrestle with your doubts concerning your salvation, chapter 5 and the early chapter, early part of the chapter is exceedingly important to that end. Note what it says that you have. Verse number 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have. And what we have in verse 1 is peace with God. 
you were, whether you realize it or not, at war with God. God was at war with you. This was not God running around trying to chase you and trying to find you. God's been seeking for man, that's for sure. But God is not some kind of peon that runs around trying to tell man how good he could be to him and what a blessing he'd do with him. God was searching man because God knew full well that man's ultimate end would be ruin and wrath and hell if God did not save him. So it's not a matter of God turning out to be some little uh, scrawny individual running around after man trying to persuade man of how good he could be to him. That's not the picture, and yet that's the picture the world gets. And uh, I get a little bit put out with that. I, I get a little irritated with that. Because that's not the case. Man is at war with God, and God counts man his enemy. In fact, chapter number 10, or chapter number 5, verse 10 says so. Verse number 10 said, For if when we were enemies... Let me tell you something. You, my friend, if you sit here this morning without Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's not that you and God are just at odds. God says of you, you are my enemy. And let me tell you, you don't want to be on the wrong side with God. You don't want to be God's enemy. And the fact of the matter is, the thing that changed that is verse 1, justification by faith. So when I was justified by faith, I'm no longer his enemy. What happens? I have peace with God. And so this morning, if you know Christ, you're not at war with him. You have peace with him. So that's one thing you have. And you do have that through the Lord Jesus Christ, which means you do not have it by keeping the law, the Ten Commandments, being baptized, joining a church, and giving to good causes. You have it through what Christ did for you, not what you did for yourself. Verse number two, what else do I have? He says, by whom also we have. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. In technical sense of the grammar of the verse, the thing that you have is access into this grace. What is this grace? In its context, this grace is justification by faith. I have access into this grace, justification by faith, justification by faith, and it is through faith. I have this justification by faith. The fact, the emphasis of the text, all of it is on my faith in it, faith in God and what he did. Also in context here, the access, the word access only used two other times in the New Testament. Paul wrote both of them, one of them in Ephesians 2, one of them in Ephesians 3. Both of those verses have to do with access into God's presence in prayer. So the fact of the matter is, you assume verse number 2 in that kind of setting that we have access by grace into this, or by faith into this grace, that also gives me access into the presence of God. So I have peace with God, and I have access to God. The third thing in verse number 2, I have also, and something else. We stand in this, by the way. We do, do not go and come in it. We don't lose it and get it back. We stand in it. Verse 2, and also I have the certainty of the glory of God. He says, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And I remind you the word hope in the New Testament carries with it the ideal of certainty. And it is something you have, not something you do. Don't miss that. Hope is not something you do. Something in the scriptures called hope is something you have. I have this hope. And he says rejoice in it. You need to learn to rejoice in the certainty of the glory of God. In the certainty of the glory of God as we shared two whole messages basically on that. It's what Romans 8 chapter number 8 verse 29 is. And that is that you are to be conformed to the image of God's Son. And at that point you will be glorified. And that's the glory spoken of in verse number 2. You are not here on this earth just to sort of limp your way through or to be a crippled chicken kind of person through here. And I'm talking in terms of spiritually speaking. You're not, uh, you're not here for that. 
You're here to conform to the image of God's Son. And that is the same thing that many verses in the New Testament allude to in words like letting your light so shine before men they see your good works and they glorify God which is in heaven. That, my friend, is conforming to the likeness of Christ. And the more you conform to Him, the more you can have an influence on pointing men, women, boys, and girls and whole families to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the point made, God's will for you and God's plan for you is you are going to end up just like the Lord Jesus. Not like a God. You're not going to be a God. You're not going to be equal to Him. But you're going to be likeness, be a likeness of Him. And the fact is, that's what God is doing in your life. With all the changes that He brings about in your life, that's His ultimate goal. And the fact of the matter is, the more you conform to it, the more you'll be like Christ. So as this verse of Scripture says, what do I have? I have the certainty in which I can rejoice that one day I will be like the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I get a little tired of wrestling with all the flesh and all the world and all that this world has to throw at me that, as it were, deters me or redirects my focus away from being like Christ. I get weary with that. And I'm thankful that God's not given up on us and He continues to work on our hearts. But someday he guarantees by this verse of scripture, rejoice in hope in the certainty of the glory of God. Someday you'll be just like the Lord Jesus Christ as Romans 8, 29 says his plan for you is. Then today we come to a fourth thing. We come to verse number three and it tells us something else that we have to rejoice in. We as believers have the ability, verse three, and not only so, but we have the ability to glory, to rejoice in tribulations also. And right up front, let me call your attention to the fact that the word glory in verse number three is the same Greek word that's rejoice in verse number two. So the fact is that our writers of the English Bible simply changed it from rejoice to glory. And uh, not that these words are so vastly different. They certainly are not. But the fact of the matter is to get you to think about the same concept, it is to say that you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and there's something else you rejoice in. You also rejoice in tribulations. Now that's rather unique. You see, that as a believer, we have a God-given ability to rejoice in tribulation. By the way, it's also important for you to know that it's not that you rejoice in spite of tribulation. You rejoice in tribulation. The grammar of the text demands that. Let me point it out to you in another verse. Look at chapter 5 and verse number 11. It says, and not only so, but we also joy in spite of God. Right? Verse 11. And not only so, but we also joy in spite of God. Do we? No. Who do we, what does it say? In God. Same grammar construction that's found in verse number three. We glory in spite of tribulation. No, we don't. We glory in tribulation. Same way in verse 11 that you would rejoice or have joy in God, you joy in tribulation. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, we, we say that, but somehow, some way, uh, let me tell you, that doesn't, just doesn't sink down easily in flesh. Uh, the New Life Baptist Church is built on sand. Those of you who are new to our church, this is a sand pit. If you need sand, we sell it. But I mean, just tell us how much you need and we'll deliver it. But the point is, outside here, the trees on the right, the reason why the trees keep dying in that, there's nothing but sand there. As deep as you can go, that's all there's sand there. No grass grows, no anything. The fact of the matter is that you can pour water out there and it just is gone. When it rains, the water goes out and it's gone. 
but you can bring, uh, as it were, water and pour it on this carpet and it'll sit here for a few minutes and then finally it absorb through the first layer of carpet and then you'll see this big wet spot. And it'll stay there until it dries out. And yet you can see it. If you walk in it, you'll get your feet wet. What's the difference here? Well, it's the ideal here of this business of the flesh. This flesh and this ideal of, of, of tribulation soaking into this flesh, we, we, don't, uh, we don't handle tribulation very well. This flesh doesn't absorb that, doesn't receive that very well. It hates that. It, it despises that. And yet the Bible is crystal clear here that in this text of Scripture, Romans 5, the evidences of your salvation is not only that you have peace with God, not only that you have access to God, and not only that you have the certainty of the glory of God being fulfilled in your life, but a, a certain sureness, a certain evidence of your salvation is that you're able to actually rejoice in tribulation. It's pretty easy to have all these other evidences, but somehow when we come to this, verse number three, and not only so, meaning not only the peace with God and not only the access to God and not only the certainty that one day we'll be like Christ, but there's something else. There is an evidence that we shall rejoice in tribulation. I'm saying to you, being found as it is in this context, it is an evidence of my salvation. The scriptures are clear. The just shall live by faith. And that's not only in getting saved. That's when tribulation comes into your life. You have faith in God to know that he does all things well. And what he started in you, he'll finish. And I have absolutely no reason not to trust him. Even when it's painful. And even when the tears may flow and the heart may break. I am confident. Just as confident as I am that he saved me. That he has allowed this into my life with purpose. And let me tell you something. That's not easy. I must tell you, I wrestle with this same thing all the time. But I am telling you this. A lost person cannot do it. If you're here in this morning service and you're not saved by the grace of God, I tell you flat out that this life to you is all you've got, so to speak. I mean all the good you've got. You see, a person who is lost does not believe in life after death. Many don't. Some do. Many don't believe in life after death. So when this is over, it's over. And there's that other group of people who somehow do believe that there is a hell that awaits them. So again, this is all the good that they're going to get. So they're, as it were, when tribulation, trouble, trials, tumults, turbulence, or trepidation comes into their lives, they don't rejoice. Why? Because simply they get angry and bitter because whatever is coming into their lives at that moment is taking away what little good they've got left. I mean, if you've only got 70 years, you don't want to waste five of it in tribulation knowing this is all you have that's good. Because when a person who does not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior leaves this life, they go to hell. Luke 16, the rich man lifted up his eyes being in torment in hell. And they'll stay there until the judgment comes to which then they'll be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. Hell is just that temporary place. That's where you go when you die. That's not where you stay. Eventually at the judgment, you'll be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. Scriptures are crystal clear on that. So the fact of the matter is lost people who are born into this world have no basis whatsoever to rejoice in trouble. You don't see lost people jumping up and down and singing glory to God when something comes into their lives that's unfortunate. Sadly, you don't see many Christians doing that. 
We've not learned to trust God that much. Our flesh somehow rebels against such an idea. You mean to tell me that in the middle of trouble and tribulation, I'm supposed to rejoice? I'm telling you that's an evidence you've been saved by the grace of God. If you can't rejoice in tribulation, it is evident that we cannot trust our Heavenly Father. Because He proclaims very clearly in verse number 3, Not only so, but we glory, we rejoice in tribulation also, knowing something. We know that it's not a waste. We know for it to get to us, it had to come through Him. If it came through Him, He permitted it. If He permitted it, He's got a plan. If He's got a plan, I ought to bow to it. And I ought not rumble and grumble in the process. I ought to give myself over to Him 100% knowing full well that He does all things well. Job had some friends, as you recall, when Job was walking through a very painful valley. In Job chapter 5, verse number 6, it says, Although afflictions cometh not forth of the dust. We can be grateful for that. That means that tribulations don't rise up out of the sand to the New Life Baptist Church properties. Neither doth trouble spring out of the ground, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. What's interesting about that, it's saying, it's saying it in no uncertain terms, that the common lot for all humanity is that you're going to have trouble. And let me tell you this, there's no exceptions, and there are no exemptions, and there are no exclusions. Everybody has trouble. It's interesting, sidebar to this, and sometimes I get on rabbit trails, and this is one of them. I was noticing when I checked the words in the Hebrew language from Job chapter 5, I noticed that the Hebrew words translated by our one word, sparks, in the Hebrew is really translated to the ideal, and it comes from a word literally to mean the sons of flames. Sparks are the sons of flame. Now, I know that's not too profound, but my point is this. Just as a fire produces offspring and there's sparks, life is like that. It produces offspring. Our children have children, and they have children. And the one thing about all of them, they all have trouble. They're sons of the flames. They are people who, without a doubt, will face trouble and tribulation and trials and trepidation and turbulence and tumult. They'll have all those things that the dictionary tells us do not mean pleasantry, but yea, verily, mean heartache and oftentimes eyes being washed with tears. Our songbook doesn't leave us vacant on this subject. We sang a song that Bob led us this morning, and one of the lines in it was about tribulation. And I say to you, that's all through the hymn book. There's a page number 18. There's a song that's not so often thought about this, but it's at page number 18. It's named or entitled, Take the Name of Jesus With You. Verse 1 says, Take the name of Jesus with you. Now watch it. Child of sorrow and of woe. Let me tell you what that tells us. It tells us about our ancestry. Everybody in this room is a child of sorrow and of woe. There is nobody in this room who either hasn't or won't attend a funeral in your lifetime. There's nobody in this room whose heart has not at some point and some place been broken beyond what you believe was a recovery. There's nobody in this room who hasn't got a telephone call or will not that is just absolutely devastating to what you hear coming through that phone. I say to you that we're all child and children of sorrow and of woe. This is as it is. We are human, and by our nature, we are of the lintage of trouble. Something else, the word tribulation itself, when you read that word in verse number 3, it's the word in the Greek 
Thalipsis, T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. It's an interesting word, and when I went back into its etymology, it really comes from uh, the ideal or principle of pressing something together. Pressing something, or, or literally the squeezing of something under pressure. The ideal of tribulation is pressure. Pressure. What's interesting about that, it was originally used, this word thalipsis was originally used of squeezing olives so you could extract the oil from them, or, or squeezing or pressing grapes so you could get the juice from them. This is, there is a, a tribulation, there is a pressure that is for people just being human beings. I mean by that, there are people who know nothing about the Christian faith, have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, who have tribulation, who have pressure. Just being born into the, 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 this world as a human being, you'll have trouble, you'll have trials, you'll have tribulation. That's a given. It's a part of our common lot. But there also is the tribulation that comes for being a believer. There's another line of tribulation, of pressure, that comes because you stand up for your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more you stand up, the more pressure you feel. The more you take stand with Jesus Christ, you'll feel it, you'll sense it, and you'll hear it. So there is that sense of tribulation also. Let me take your one other point, and while you're turning, let me make a statement. That is at chapter number 8 of Romans, if you would. Go over just three chapters from chapter 5 to chapter 8, and listen to this. Justification by faith is no fire escape, is no fire escape, is no escape hatch, as it were, from trouble or tribulation. In fact, oftentimes, justification by faith will really set it in motion. Tribulation will come. It comes because it comes by divine design. Romans chapter 8, look at verse number 17 if you would. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And if children, Romans 8 says, verse 17, If children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we, what? Suffer with Him, that we may also glorified together. Now watch verse 18. For I reckon, or I count, or I consider, or I understand fully, I reckon that the what? Sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I want you to get a grip on verse 18. The present sufferings are not even worthy to be compared to the glory of which, note carefully, might be revealed in you. Right? No. Shall be revealed in you. Guaranteed deal. This is not up for possibilities. This is an absolute reality. It has, as it were, judicially already happened. Experientially, it's going to happen. It's a done deal. This shall happen to you. And the fact is that what you go through with is not even worthy to compare with what he has already judicially worked out for you. And that means you ought to be able to rejoice in it. I ought to be able to face anything here because nothing down here in this present life of suffering, of sorrow, or trouble, or tribulation, or turmoil, none of this is even worthy to be on the same line under an equation of equality with what he has planned for me in my being glorified to the likeness of his son. Verse number 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which absolutely shall be revealed in us. Not to us, but in us. 
as something He's doing in you. Verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. We're waiting for it, but our day will come. Verse 20, For the creature was made subject to vanity or emptiness, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in assurance or certainty, in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We're going to be broken free of the restraints that this body, this flesh has held on us for all the years. One day when we're changed into His likeness, you won't be wrestling with what you're wrestling with now. Yours, yours will be a whole new level of opportunity and blessing, the likes of which now you'll probably never remember, probably erased from your mind forever. And that's what we wait for. Verse 22, For we know, we don't guess, we know that the whole creation groaneth, travaileth in pain together until now. Verse 23, And not only so, not only... They, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Waiting for the adoption, completion, so the redemption of the body will be finished. I'm telling you, my friend, that's what Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 was all about. When Paul wrote, For our conversation, or our citizenship, or our manner of life in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. That says that Romans eight twenty nine is going to happen. I'm going to be conformed to the image of God's Son. It's a guaranteed deal, and it'll happen when I see the Lord Jesus Christ. I say to you, it's important. Another passage that Paul addresses, look at it, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians 4, look at verse number 8. 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 8 simply says, We are troubled on every side. So you shouldn't think you're alone in this. Paul writes, We are troubled on every side, yet, notice, not distressed, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Read it again. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. For what reason? That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest or be revealed in our body. That's the earthly effort of Romans 8.29 to conform you to the likeness of Christ. You bearing about in your body the understanding, the realization, and the appropriation of the death of Christ on the cross, you will understand and conform, as it were, your life to that, to the point that you will become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. Verse number 11, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal flesh. Read it again. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Verse number 12. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, 
I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction. Notice, light affliction. You know what you thought was so hard and you thought you just couldn't survive and you thought it was just absolutely beyond your capabilities to stand up under and you just ready to give up and give in and throw in the towel and just give it all away. Remember that? From heaven's perspective, it's light affliction. You know why? Because it's not worthy to be compared with what you've got over there. So in comparison to that, this ain't nothing. This ain't nothing. How bad this is can't be to be compared to how good that is. So he calls it from heaven's perspective under the inspiration of God for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. You thought it was never going to end. It's just for a moment compared to that. That's eternity. This is time. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's what it's all about. That's the purpose. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I say to you, my friend, that trouble is on every hand, as Paul says here, but the trouble on every hand has with it a purpose. And the purpose that comes into our lives has as that purpose that we indeed might understand that that tribulation worketh something in us to create a patience. And I say to you, from this passage of Scripture, as you look at what Paul says is happening to him here in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 18, I do not want you to miss what did not happen to him. You see, look through the text of Scripture and notice all the knots, N-O-T-S, N-O-T, knots. There are many of them. He says, verse number 9, Verse number 8, for instance, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Does your trouble distress you? Does your trouble get you down to the point that you're ready to quit and give up and throw in the towel? He said, no, 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 that's not what it's here for. Tribulation does not come to the Christian to knock him down and knock him out. It comes to him to make him better, stronger, sturdier, stable. That's what he does. And he says, we're, we're certainly, we face a lot of trouble, but we are not distressed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Do you get despaired? I mean, just absolutely get in despair over your trouble? You shouldn't. Paul is saying, I'm saved by the grace of God, justified by faith, and I come to realize something, that this is an evidence of my salvation, that I do not get all bent out of shape when tribulation comes. I'd love to trust my Heavenly Father, knowing that He does all things well, and I've laid my faith in Him absolutely and in its totality. That's hard. And I'm not suggesting that this is just sad and it, and, and it happens. This is not a name it and claim it kind of thing. This is the kind of thing that you'll have to absorb from God's Word, the, the strength that comes from the truth of the Word, and then mix it with the Holy Spirit's help so that you can do what this passage of Scripture says. This will not happen by fleshly effort. You know, I'm going to make up my mind that I'm going to rejoice in trouble. Now, that won't fly. This is a spiritual warfare we're in. And the only way you're going to win that thing and I'm going to win that thing and in our lives is going to be, as it were, constantly conforming to the image of God's Son is for me, my heart, my life to conform to God's Word and depend on the Holy Spirit to help me to rejoice 
when trouble comes. Now you listen to me. I've told you and warned you before. Almost invariably, when we preach a sermon on this subject, somebody gets to test it. Maybe it'll be me, or maybe it'll be you. But you'll get to find out whether it'll be of the flesh or the aid of the Holy Spirit. But somebody will get to test this one. Can I rejoice in tribulation? Verse 10, the divine purpose that God had for all the trouble, the pressure, the tribulation for the believer is that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body as conforming to the image of God's Son. That's Romans 8, 29, if I've ever read it. Now, back to our text. Romans chapter 5, verse number 3, and we have to do so quickly. Notice first off, Romans 5, 3, he's statement and not only so that means there are things that we have preceded in verses 1 and 2 that are in this list but that's not all we add to the list that we can rejoice we can glory in tribulations but something else we do so knowing verse 3 not only so but we glory in tribulations also knowing and that's an important point knowing that since everything that gets to us has to pass through his hands through his approval then what happens here is that it, that's the trouble, is under divine design. Divine design. This trouble has an eternal purpose. And the Bible tells us in verse 3 what that purpose is for tribulation. When knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And saying that um, knowing the good, that is the ideal of good to know that because of the fact that we are encouraged by what or Jesus Christ said and what John wrote down for us. He wrote this in John 16. He said, These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. The ideal, first of all, Jesus Christ saying, I've written and said all these things prior in chapter 16 of John, that you might have peace with me. That you might have the peace I have, the peace I give. You know, you've taken it and you have it, you possess it. There's a reason for that. There's a reason he said that. The reason is given in the latter part of the verse. John 16, 33 says, In the world you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome it. I have overcome the world. The thing that gives us so much tribulation, watch it. The thing that gives us so much tribulation, almost 95 to 99% comes from the world. And our attitude toward it, our adjustments to it, our dealing with it, but almost all of it comes out of the world. Either we're trying to play with Him and work with Christ, we're trying to serve Christ and play in the sandbox of the world. Somehow, and it's in the context of that tribulation that so often trouble comes our way. Trouble comes our way. Trouble comes into our homes. Sometimes trouble comes into families' homes because of what they let into the television. Sometimes our kids act like they are renegades. They act like something from the jungles of Africa that climbs in trees. Why? Because they see it on television. Monkey see, monkey do. I'd say this. If I was having trouble with children, the first thing I'd do is cut out every lick of television. I wouldn't restrict it to this or that. I'd cut the thing out. If I was having trouble with my children, I'd cut the television out of my home. That's the first thing I'd do. And the second thing I'd do is restrict the sugar. That's an injection. That's a, you know, if I was having trouble, that's exactly what I'd do and do it in a heartbeat. 
but the tendency is, oh, no, that's child abuse. Goodness, pastor, don't you know that's child abuse? Every child has a right in America to a television and a CVR and a CDD and a BDD and a LOR and a CCC and a DDDF. No, they don't. You don't have those rights in America. You have a responsibility in America to behave and to do right. And God's people have an obligation to take heed to the scriptures and the matters concerning behavior. And I say this to you and say it kindly. But it's so, it's so sad to watch God's people let the world give them the pattern for lifestyle. That's sad to me. Really sad. For almost all the scriptures in some way or another set up the ideal to know and do of God's good pleasure. Know and do. The whole ideal of knowing the Bible is to go do it. Why? Because it's the best thing for you. It's the best thing for you personally. It's the best thing for your home. It's the best thing for this church. Doing God's bidding. What God says, I do not care what the world thinks about it. That's irrelevant. It is a matter of what does God think. What does God say about this? What is my responsibility to this? And I say this to you, that in this world you're going to have tribulation and much of it will become because of the world and the relationship you have with it or your dealings with it and sometimes you're compromised to it. Whatever the case is, in the believer's life, the tribulation works for us, not against us. That's the good news. The devil would try to make the tribulation work against us, but from what God says here in Romans chapter 5 under inspiration, he has another plan. And his plan is that this tribulation is to work for us, not against us. Justification, by the way, is something God does for us. But when it comes to patience and experience, as mentioned in verse 4, and hope that's mentioned in verse 4, those are things God does in us, not for us. Patience does not come because God gives you a dose of patience. Patience comes because God gave you a dose of tribulation or allowed it to come. God uses the tribulation to produce patience. God uses the patience and the tribulation to produce in you experience. And then God uses the experience, the tribulation, the patience that comes about. He uses that to fortify your hope. What's that? Gives you assurance of your salvation. I know I'm saved because I can react to tribulation right. I rejoice in it. I rejoice in my tribulation by virtue that I know it's going to create patience. Patience is steadfastness, stability. The kinds of things we call about cementing. You know, this guy is stable. He's cemented. That's what patience is. It's being able to stand up under fire. It's being able to stand your ground. It's being able to know who you are in Christ and not wavering with the wind, being tossed to and fro. Stability also is incorporated in the ideal of patience. And what the Bible is saying, that God lets tribulation come into your life so He gives you stability. And then the stability in your life will create experience. And the word and the ideal of experience in this context carries with it the ideal of proven character. Proven character. That's what that word means. Experience is a proven character. Tested character. I remind you of something that that uh, stormy winds that will be coming into our area maybe the next month. You know, when spring shows up in Indiana, we have at least the potential and often the practical point that we have some pretty bad storms. They blow limbs out of trees and sometimes they take trees down. They blow them over. 
Sometimes they don't hit us, sometimes they do. The fact is, most likely, there'll be spring storms somewhere in our area, and some people in our church will be cleaning up limbs because of it. What's exciting about that to anyone who understands trees, and I don't know a lot about them, but I do appreciate this fact, that the same storm that tears those limbs out the top and, and forces all the dead limbs out of the young growing limbs agitates that tree to the point that it stimulates its roots. And every horticulturist teacher will tell you that those storms are needed and necessary to strengthen and make sturdy and healthy growing trees. In fact, it's stated that trees would not grow straight if they did not have winds to blow them as if they were blowing them out of the ground. So all the wind does is simply cause it, as it were, to be tribulation, to create in that tree its stability and healthiness that it needs to weather long-time existence. I say that's exactly what God does here. You notice the word in verse number 3 in Romans chapter 5, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation, what? Worketh patience. Tribulation has a work to do. It is working out what God has worked in. And the proof of that is, as we say it, the proof of character is conduct. And so it carries it on. In verse number 4, he says, And patience, proven character, or as your Bible says, experience. The word for patience can be understood as endurance, steadfast, and all that. Interesting that that then in turn, when it's tested produces proven character. It's, it, it, what that does, it eliminates all the, the farceness of it, you know, the hypocrisy. People can fool people, but you can't fool God's work with tribulation. I mean, when He brings it in and unloads it in your lot, you'll prove yourself. You can't pretend through that. You can pretend to be happy, but you cannot pretend to be able to make it through tribulation and being in a rejoicing spirit and trusting the Heavenly Father without some kind of bitterness and irritant leaking out of your heart. And that's the whole idea here that just then in turn will produce and show real assurance. Let me quickly bring this to a close. First off, let me assure you that power is produced from pressure. If you ever go to a dam, and I've only been to two in my lifetime, but... When you go to those dams that produce electricity, what's interesting about it, it's the pressure of all that volume of water that's pressing against that dam that in turn flows through those turbines or to them and creates electricity. It's power, and it creates the pressure creates a power. But there's a soft side to that, and, and that's something we call perfume. Power is not the only thing that pressure produces. Pressure produces a perfume. You can take the petals of a flower and you can press them or rub them between your thumb and finger and the fragrance that's inside that flower will begin to permeate the room where you are. The whole idea is that both of those are needed as a balance in the Christian life. Pressure on you ought to produce a power in you to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, a steadfastness in it. But it also ought to produce in you a sweetness, a sweetness that almost as a fragrance would invite people to come near be associated with you, come in contact to you. And I say to you, that's exactly what's in part is here. Verse 4, patience then produces experience. I say to you, experience would mean rightness of character or proven character. As we would often tell you, fruit is of no value unless it's ripe. And so character is not a finished product until it's proven. 
Consequently, that's what this passage is all about. When we believers experience tribulation and we gain patience, perseverance from that, then in turn it produces experience, which is proven character. By the way, the text of the passage in verse number 4 and the first part of verse number 5 tells us that this process goes in full circle. You see, godly hope produces godly hope. Back up in verse number 2 where it said, Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's interesting. Our hope of the glory of God in verse 2 is made to grow in strength and confidence by the process of tribulation. You ought to become more confident of your salvation by the fact that tribulation comes into your life and your patience toward that or your patience that grows out of that would also prove in you of proven character, give you experience. And when that proven character is settled down, it ought to emerge from your heart and life a confidence in your salvation, which is the hope that he speaks of in verse 4, a confidence about your Christian faith that nothing would shake it. Because when you come to that point, you've come to a point where you really believe that God can be trusted, not just in saving you, but in working in your life. And no matter what He brings in, He's to be trusted. He's to be trusted. I remind you, and I'm sure I don't need to, that coal, just old black West Virginia coal, under great pressure, under great pressure for a long period of time, produces diamonds. I've often wondered why men didn't just give their wives a piece of coal and say, hang on to this. This will work in time. Just hang on to it. But the fact of the matter is that we somehow forget that when trouble comes into our life, you know. Don't you think about that? If God knows that you can make diamonds out of coal under pressure, it boggles the mind what He can make out of us if we just trust Him under pressure. Just faith in Him, believing Him, trusting Him, knowing that He does everything well. By the way, let me say to our lost friends here, you'll not feel pressure, tribulation, the kind that the Christians do until you come to faith in Christ and you take your stand for Him. Then there's a new kind of pressure. There's a new kind of tribulation. And let me say a second thing to you. There's also a false gospel that goes around that says... Oh, when you come to know Christ as Savior, there is no trouble. There is no tribulation. There is no problems. God takes all your problems away. You'll forgive me. That's not true. When you come to faith in Christ, you'll still have trouble. In fact, someone recorded, and I wrote them down, what do you do when trouble comes? Do you retreat? Do you run from it? Some people do. They take drugs and alcohol. Get so stoned, they don't know what it's about. The second one said, do you resent it? Do you resent God allowing this to come into your life? His next point was, do you resign to it? You know, the old stoic attitude. What will be, will be, and I'm not going to worry about it. That's not scriptural. That's not even biblical. That rather is the fourth one of these that he wrote down was, or do you resolve to let it have and do its purposed work? And in fact, you rejoice while it's happening. Is that your attitude? Retreat? Resign, Or is it one of rejoice and resolve that I am going to accept this is from God's good hand? I remind you, growth time for the Christian is usually bad time. Seldom do we grow spiritually apart from pressure. Pressure sort of forces us into that. My favorite poem that I have shared with you over and over again. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, but I was none the wiser for all she had to say. 
I walked a mile with sorrow. And not a word, said she. But oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. I would tell you that you must remember this. God did not stop the crucifixion. But he did give us a resurrection. He did not stop that crucifixion as bad and horrible as it was. But he did give us a resurrection. Job wrote it. Job 23 verse 10. He said, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Let me tell you as I remind myself of this, looking in an encyclopedia concerning the refining of gold, it made an interesting statement. It said, Gold is considered to be refined enough only when the refiner can see the reflection of his own face in it. The gold is refined enough only when the face of the refiner can be reflected on this gold surface. I say to you that that's exactly what God is up to. He's refining us. He's conforming us. He is, as it were, purging us from all those things that take away from who He is. A song that we used to sing as a young boy in a Presbyterian church was a song written by Charles Tinley, a black man. It was written in 1905, and it was the song, We'll Understand It Better By and By. You remember? I got the word. My wife got these for the, from the Internet, and it says, We are tossed and driven on restless sea of time. Somber skies and howling tempest off succeed a bright sunshine. In that land of perfect day, when the mists have rolled away, we'll understand it better by and by. By and by, when the morning comes, when the saints of God are gathered home, we'll tell the story how we've overcome, for we'll understand it better by and by. We're often destitute of things that life demands, want of food and want of shelter, thirsty hills and barren lands. We're trusting in the Lord, and according to His Word, we will understand it better by and by. Trials dark on every hand, and we cannot understand all the ways that God could lead us to that blessed promised land, but He guides us with His eyes, and we'll follow till we die, for we'll understand it better by and by. What's interesting about that is that this man was the son of slaves. His mother and father were both slaves, Charles Tinley. He was taught to read by himself, that is self-taught. As some said, he was a driven man. It's also interesting that he worked as a janitor while he attended night school, earning his divinity degree through a correspondence course, and he finished it. And interesting, in 1902, he became the pastor of the Calvary Methodist Episcopal Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the very church where he'd been janitor. Interesting to me is that what he says is, in a sense, absolutely true. We'll understand all this a lot better by and by. But there is something that you can grab onto right now. And that is that God said it. We ought to believe it. And that ought to settle it. I want you to rejoice in tribulation, he says through Paul. I want you to understand that tribulation has a purpose. I want you to understand that that purpose comes from me. That I'll take a very negative, 
painful, problematic thing, and I will cause it to work in your life in a way that it will produce steadfastness, patience, earnestness, as it were. And as you continue to be tested in that, that patience will mature. And what it'll do is become proven character. It will become experience. And I want you to know that in time, what that will do is it will give you an absolute certainty of confidence of hope. The very thing that the world has little of, I'll give it to you as a believer. And I've given you the assurances up front. So there's no doubt about all this. But the fact is, you can see that it works full circle and it comes back to the same exact thing. Just gives more assurance. Let me ask you a couple of questions as we close this morning. One, if you were to die, I mean, it's problematic and I guess it's highly improbable that anybody's going to die at the New Life Baptist Church sitting in a pew. But it could happen. What if you died in this service? What if your heart would just cease to beat? Or what if you had a cerebral hemorrhage right here in this auditorium and you just fell over in your seat and you never got to stand so the service has come to a close? And someone would go to the phone and call the EMTs and the ambulance would show at the front and open up the double doors. They'd bring a gurney down this aisle. They'd go to your pew. They'd lift you up on it. They'd cover your body. They would rush you off to the hospital with a hope that they might yet salvage your life. But what if, in point of fact, by the very time your head hit the cushioned pew on which you sit, you were already out in eternity? Where will it be that you'd spend eternity? And if it's not depending on you, if it's depending on what you've done with God's Son, where would it be? What have you done with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is He your Savior by childlike faith? Can you say, I have been justified by faith through grace? Or would you have to say, really, I don't know. I don't know where I am today. I don't know where I stand. I don't know what would happen. I don't know where I'd go. I don't know any of that. Well, let me tell you, you're in the right place to know. And if you're here and you're not certain, absolutely certain, that you'd go to heaven if you died, please give someone in our fellowship a chance, an opportunity to take a Bible and you privately to one of our side counseling rooms and show you from the Scripture how you can be sure and certain that Jesus Christ not only died for you, which the Scriptures make crystal clear, but by simple childlike faith in Him, you can have eternal life and know it forever. I hope you will come. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the certainty that it gives. Thank You that it's not a book of wishy-washy ideas and myths. It is absolute truth. And this morning as we open our hearts to the truth, I pray that You may direct it to those especially who have never believed on You as Lord and Savior. What a sad thing it would be to be born in America and hear Bible preaching and then die in our sin and go to a devil's hell. I pray this morning for any man, woman, boy, or girl who might have doubts. Please help them not to leave with them. Help them to leave their doubts here at the New Life Baptist Church and help them to walk away with a relationship with Jesus Christ that makes eternity with Him certain. I pray you work in every heart to that end. I pray for believers, some who want to come and deal with matters to which you've addressed as you have directed your word to their hearts. I pray for believers who ought to come for baptism. They have been saved, but they need to follow your believer's baptism. Help them to come. Those who ought to come for church membership. Those who ought to come just for prayer. Things on which you have burdened their hearts and they need to address. Whatever the case is, help us to be cooperating with you today as you speak to us about becoming more like your son, the Lord Jesus. We commit the service and its results to you. Thank you for your love, your mercy, 
and your patience with us. Bless in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? And if you need a hymn book, turn to 282. 282, just as I am. If God has spoken to your heart, then we invite you to come as we sing. 282, verse number 1. spoken to your heart, would you come? God has spoken to your heart, would you come? If God has spoken to your heart, would you come? If God has spoken to your heart, would you come? And verse number two, if God has spoken, you obey. God has spoken to your heart. Would you come? very much for your time and your attention. I appreciate it deeply. Hope you will be back with us for the evening service tonight and be praying for that service. Ask the fire to make a presentation in that. Hope you'll come to be with us for that in the message from God's Word. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer and you can be on your way home. Our Father, thank you for the services of the today. We thank you for the Sunday school hour, the word that we've heard taught and preached. We thank you for the privilege you give us to do that. And we counted an honor to be able to handle your word and to share it with others. And we pray now that you'll bless the messages of the Sunday school now here at the worship service. Direct these messages to every heart of every person here. And I trust, Father, that none will walk away from here without believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I pray for believers that you'd strengthen us in the inner man. And I pray that our lives would be more reflective of your goodness, your grace, and your likeness. Help us to conform to that. And I pray, Father, that you'll guide and direct all the services of the day, both the evening service, the patch, the pipe presentation, may the Lord Jesus Christ be lifted up and in so doing may draw people to himself. Bless as we go from this place. And again, for the safety of your people, we request guide and direct in their travels and pray you give them refreshing afternoon and then bring us back for the evening service tonight. Bless our choir practice, bless the men's prayer time, and then bless the service itself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you until we meet again. You are dismissed. <clears throat> I'm about to lose my voice all over.